This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi. This week we're doing an ISA special. The tax year end is nearing, so we thought we'd cover all the stuff you need to know when you're sorting out your ISA. So we're going to look at how to conquer Brexit phobia, what an innovative finance ISA is, why cash junior ISAs just got more attractive, and we'll be looking at some of the weird advertising around ISAs. So to tackle all of this and more, we're joined this week by Tom from AJ Bell. Hello. So before we get started, we thought it'd be worth explaining a bit how an ISA works, in case you're not sure. So every individual can put up to £20,000 in an ISA each year, and it's split between the various different types of ISAs that are on offer. And it's a use it or lose it allowance, so it has to be used by the end of the tax year, which is April the 5th. So you can have cash savings or money in stocks and shares or a mixture of these different types. Um, And we'll go through some of the types on the podcast today. But if you miss that deadline, then you lose whatever remains of that year's £20,000 allowance. So it's why this time of year tends to be ISA season. It's why you see a lot more advertising around um, fulfilling your ISA allowance. And it's why the three of us always look a bit older and greyer when it comes to the start (laughs) of April. So there's lots of content on the Shares Magazine website for more in-depth stuff on the mechanics of the ISAs that we're talking about. So we're not going to go into the nitty-gritty detail of how the accounts work. So you can go to the Shares Magazine website and check out all of that if you want to get up to scratch on the basics. But firstly, I thought we should kick off with how you guys handle your ISAs. So are you a last-minute Larry, Dan? No, I'm, I'm quite boring and try and invest something every month. So I've got my direct debit set up mm. um as soon as i get paid make sure i put some money aside um, and i've got a big long list of things i want to own so i'm probably in the minority maybe H- how do you do it then laura you're like a model student well yes. done um <laughs> i am much more haphazard <laughs> doesn't Which, surprise me one yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> i probably shouldn't admit to but no i think i drip feed money in throughout the year but um i've i'm in the process of buying a house at the moment so i have no spare money so oh, well, I guess I'm in the position of some other people where they've got other commitments for their money. Yes, that's yeah. that doesn't sound too haphazard. It sounds kind of similar. To I what think I, I made it sound more legit than it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Do I do the same thing? I drip feed money. So same as Dan, drip feed money uh, on a monthly basis straight out of your salary, so that you don't. Oh, Tom, is, Tom, is this is actually true? Because, this is actually true. Yeah. Because at the start of the year, your New Year's resolution was to open a joint ISA. It's with open. Girlfriend. It's open. And then when we last asked you about it, you said you hadn't got round to. I've got round to it. It's so. open. The direct debit has been set up. It has lost money, <laughs> but I'm confident that over the long term, which is what I'm investing for, it is going to do incredibly well. But I, I used to be terrible with this stuff. So I, uh, in a in a previous life, I was a, I was a pensions journalist, and embarrassingly, I had no idea what my pension was. I was all enrolled into a pension scheme as a, uh, as when I when I was when I was working as a pension journalist I was spending all this time telling people how important it was to save for retirement going through all the tax rules and things like that wasn't following any of my own advice whatsoever so oh, I dear. think that's <laughs> a kind of normal th- well I don't know if it's normal or not but I think quite often people say they're doing one thing and actually just don't get around to doing it yeah you were young we'll let you off you've seen the error of your ways I'm no longer you're young. reformed that's true. you're no longer yeah. young you're old <laughs> Well, this year, there is a lot of talk that investors haven't been as active with putting their money into their ISAs as in previous year. So we just thought we'd talk about what might be holding people back um, and why you should really keep saving if possible. So I was having a think about this before we we started recording the podcast. And 
and it's a bit of a strange situation because we've got high employment, um, there is some wage growth, and stock markets kind of holding up. Mm. So, the, so the background um, for people's capacity to invest and, and confidence should should theoretically be there. But on the flip side, you've got things like consumer debt is quite high. Um, we've had quite a few PLC failures, so Carillion, um, Patisserie Valerie, Interserve. Now, these have all been in the news, and shareholders in these stocks have lost everything. So that might have knocked a bit of confidence. Um, we've got stuff like slowing economic growth, the trade wars kind of unresolved still. Um, and in, even fund managers who are, you know, they're being paid to do this stuff. It's their job. They've been cutting exposures to stocks as well to the lowest level since September 2016, according to some new figures out from Bank of America. Um, so, I, I, But I guess the big thing is Brexit, isn't it, really? You know, if everyone's kind of still don't know what's going on, um, are people just sitting on their hands or or sort of converting some of their investments into cash wandering. I, I fear the worst case scenario that there might be a recession. Yeah, so people have definitely been pulling money out of certain markets. So since the Brexit vote in June 2016, industry figures that look at kind of where investors have been pulling their money show that UK investors pulled more than £11 billion of money from funds that are focused on the UK. Um, and then in the past year alone, 4.5 billion of money has been taken out of those funds. So I think that highlights some of that Brexit nervousness. But you talked about the Bank of America stats on there. Interestingly, in terms of the top three worries that these professional fund managers have, Brexit doesn't even come into it. Their worries are about China slowdown, they're about trade wars, and they're about um, company debt levels. So... To us, Brexit seems like a big issue, but to the professionals who are looking more globally, there's lots of other things that might be causing investors to be a bit nervous. Yeah, that's certainly the case. When I've interviewed fund managers, um, they've said like, it doesn't really matter where you are. There's always something in the world that's troubling you. Mm. Um, and really, you should just um, you know, don't obsess with all the negatives all the time um, and just keep drip feeding that money into the market. You, know, you might be buying at high prices, um, you might be buying at low prices, but you know if you just average it out, I think it's a really good thing to do. And I think with people thinking about their ISA, um, you can just put some cash into it, even in the stocks and shares ISA. Um, it just means that you've got that money locked into your account, and you won't, you're not, you're not sort of losing any of these these tax benefits that come when it comes to the new financial year. Um, you've got that money; you can invest it later on, perhaps once Brexit sorted out. So. The so-called cash and dash strategy—is yeah. that what you're talking about? That's the one. It's a terrible name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, I think it's a term you're going to be hearing a lot more about. I hope not. <laughs> So, yeah, so I guess it's coming back to kind of what you were talking about you're doing, Dan. You've, you've got a list of investments that you want to buy and you're putting regular money into the market. But I think the main thing is to look out over 10 years. So you could be understandably quite nervous about what's going to happen with Brexit now or over the next month or even the next year. But if you're investing for 10 years or longer, you've got to think about where you think markets are going to be at the end of that point, not necessarily where they're going to be in the middle. Yeah, I think so. Particularly if you're um, if you're younger and you're using the lifetime ISA, um, you you get the benefit of the government giving you some free money mm. um, as part of this scheme. And you know, if if you're not using it to buy property and you're using that money for retirement, you know it's locked. It is going to be locked away for a while. So you should think um, very long term about how how you're doing that. But you know, come back into the, to the lifetime ISA. Um, even the take-up of this, I think, could be a lot better if they marked it in a different way, as badged it, rather than saying it's a government bonus where you'd get um, 25% extra on top of the money that you put in yourself. It's to call it free money. Mm. But I don't know whether they you know, that might, if there's any sort of um, 
repercussions or the financial regulator says you can't use you know such explicit terms yeah i'm not I'm not sure about um about regulation around that that description of the the free money from from the lifetime ISA. i'm sure that would be that would be fine i think one, one of the one of the issues with the lifetime ISA has been the the exit penalty and explaining that so you mentioned uh, the fact that maybe it's not been marketed as well as it could have been i think that's probably a fair a fair shout but one of the difficulties i think in marketing it to people is that you've got this 25 percent exit penalty so the government says you get a 25 percent bonus on up to four thousand pounds of your money if you qualify for the lifetime ice but then if you take it out early for a reason that's not set out in the in the rules so if it's not for a property a first property purchase worth 450 grand or less or after the age of 60 or if you become terminally ill then you get this 25 percent penalty on the withdrawal and i think People sometimes don't realise that those two 25% aren't the same thing. Because it's 25% of the whole withdrawal, you'll end up getting a penalty, most likely, that's more than the initial bonus that you were given in the first place. And so I think that I think things like that have made it a bit more difficult for providers to get into the market and kind of explain this thing to people in a really simple way. I think if that, I mean, ideally, you would want the government to remove that penalty so that if you take it out early, for another reason, you just give back the government bonus and that's it. And then it'd be much simpler for people to understand. And uh, I think more people would, would take it up and more providers, frankly, would probably come to the market as well. But I think the provider level is interesting because none of the big high street banks are mm. offering a lifetime ISA, but the help to buy ISA, which is kind of the the first yeah. home purchase part of the lifetime ISA, that ends in November this mm. year. And at that point, people are expecting some of those high street banks um, to move into the lifetime ISA market, at which point you'll see a bit more of that marketing, you'll see a bit more of awareness and maybe the pickup of it will be greater, although that will probably be more in the cash lifetime ISA space rather than um, being able to invest that money. Yeah, I think one one thing that um, one thing people need to be to, to be careful of if they are going to go into a lifetime ISA at the end of this tax year or the start of the next tax year, um, think about exactly what you're going to use it for. So clearly, it's got this dual purpose where it can either be for a first home or for retirement from age sixty. You can take the money out tax free, but you need to make sure you know exactly why you're going to use it because, as you mentioned, there are multiple cash lifetime ISA providers out there, but it's not really a sensible investment strategy to have all your money in a cash account paying probably less than 1% for 40 years or more. So if you are looking to use a lifetime ISA for retirement, and certainly for basic rate taxpayers, it can be um, a, a reasonable uh, a reasonable addition to pension, normal pension saving, then you need to make sure that you're investing that money for the long term in stocks and shares and benefiting from growth and making sure that you don't have the value of your money eaten away by rising inflation. So I think that's that's quite important for people to think about. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so a few people have emailed in to ask us about the Innovative Finance ISA or IFISA, which is impossible to say, <laughs> firstly. Um, so it's a relatively new type of ISA, which means you can invest in peer-to-peer investments within your ISA. Um, Take-up's been fairly low so far, but a few people have emailed in saying that they've seen lots of adverts for it, that they want a bit more information about it, um, and they want it explaining. I think it's gone under the radar for quite a lot of savers, hasn't it? It has. I mean, you've, you've got to think about the banks have been getting a bit stricter with their lending criteria over the last few years. Um, so there's been this gap created in the market where individuals can lend money either to to other individuals or to companies um, and then they essentially they use a ptp uh, peer-to-peer platform um, to do this and then they would essentially get in, they take a bit of the interest and the ptp platform takes a cut as well um, but the reasons why um, they're cropping up at the moment with advertising is if you start to look around for like best rates or top 
top yields on ISAs, uh, there's a high chance that you're going to find um, the adverts that you see on places like Google will, will, will show you um, stuff that's linked to these these peer-to-peer ISAs, not linked to normal stocks and shares or cash ISAs. Um, so they, they're kind of offering rates between 7 and 12%. Now, these are quite eye-catching initially, um, and but I think some people might be get a bit misled by them, thinking that they are guaranteed rates um, and that they are uh, part of the, the scheme where if something goes wrong with your ISA provider or your bank or your building society, um, you get a certain amount of money that is, is secured and you get this compensation back. But you know, P2P investments are that. They are investments. They're, there's no protection um, from this compensation scheme. So uh, you know, you're hearing some horror stories about people going into uh, various high-risk investment products. Um, you know, I, I just typed in... Um, yeah, top top innovative finance ISA just to see what I got and I got immediately it was a result saying open an ISA at seven and a half percent per year and to me, so initially that you might think okay is that guaranteed but it's, it's definitely not mm. so people people need to understand how peer to peer works um, all the schemes are different and they can and there are some a lot of unfamiliar brands so look I mean just off the top of your head do, can you think of anyone um, who's big in the innovative finance uh, finance ISA market so I used to cover this quite a lot in my previous job so things like Zopa rate setter um, there's a lot of bigger companies out there that are also spending a lot on advertising but you're right there's some catchy headline figures but basically how it works is you lend your money and that money is split between loads of different businesses um, all which give you a different interest rate and that 7.5% in your example is kind of the average that you're likely to get from that basket of different businesses but all it takes is one or two to default and not pay Mm. back their loan and then that interest rate starts to get knocked down and down now I'm not saying that that's always the case but I think that is part of the problem with some of the advertising particularly when a lot of the advertising is comparing the rates on offer to cash rates and which when it really should be compared to the rates you can get on investments because yeah. like you said they are investments yeah definitely i, th- I think that um you know th- those names you mentioned are are the better known ones yeah they're the bigger ones in the industry there are lots of smaller much more niche ones as well yeah i mean i went on and did um had a look at some of these comparison websites that give you indicative rates of what you can get and they were coming up with names like cufflink crowd to fund i thought I've, you know, i really don't know who these companies are um you know you have to think well if i'm going to use the services of someone mm. i should should be able to trust them and, and know a bit about them yeah um and, and i came across one company that was saying um you can earn up to 16 percent interest a year i mean i thought you know is interest is is perhaps um you know, it's a debatable whether that's the term you should be using for investment but um you know but it was talking about predictive rates could be about 11 percent, but seven percent of its loans defaulting i mean mm. it's sort of um and, and this wasn't spreading your assets across multiple um different loans this was you'd pick a property that and, and it's you invest in the development loan to help finish it off yeah um, you know, that's, that's that just sets off warning signals to me of just being a bit too complicated potentially promising a bit too much and not probably not being ideal for your average investor yeah. on the street yeah i think laura you've hit you've hit the nail on the head there when you said we were going to talk about this i wrote in capital letters these are not cash these are not guaranteed i mm. think um when when you cer- certainly on the on the tube i notice most mm. the just the levels of promotion and advertising going 
going on around uh, around innovative finance ISAs. A lot of them are based on investing in property and getting bridging loans to help people um, buy properties and you're investing in that. And clearly, if somebody's having to get a bridging loan to a peer-to-peer, they might have been rejected by a bank. And I think people need to consider why that might be the case and how much risk they're taking. But the real, the real worry is that quite often you see these peer-to-peer type, so innovative finance ISAs, these peer-to-peer type investments sat right alongside cash. And I think there's a risk that while the person promoting it might not be saying this is as safe as cash, people see this is what you get from a cash ISA, this is what you get from an innovative finance ISA. And they think they're comparing like with like. And I can absolutely, that the one thing you can guarantee is that you are not comparing like with like. So if it's a cash ISA product that returns 1%, an innovative finance ISA product that returns correctly, 16%, then yeah. you can guarantee the 16% one's going to be take, giving you a hell of a lot more risk yeah. than the 1% one. And I think people just need to be very careful to understand exactly where their money's ultimately being invested and the risks that they're going to be taking as a result. I mean, the, the, these P2P platforms do publish information on mm. defaults, um, on, on previous investments. So um, you do have to dig around for them. But I think that it's, you know, we've already had a couple of years ago some of the, um, some of these providers sort of not being able to get the rates that perhaps some of their advertising was initially offering. And then they sort of had to reset expectations. So it's lower um, because they've had, well, it's a mixture of like defaults. Also, there's not actually been enough people lending into the system um, as well. I mean, Zopra actually froze new investments in mm. 2016 temporarily because it just wasn't enough creditworthy people doing it. Um, now, that's probably a very good thing to do, but you know, there might be other companies in this market who don't have such strict standards and kind of will just take anyone on board um, just to get the just get that cash flowing in and out but perhaps you have to think you know, is the person to whom I'm lending can they actually pay it back to mm, me so. yeah but one thing that I did find interesting is the Telegraph had some figures today that showed that between July and December last year um, the proportion of people that were switching from stocks and shares ISAs into these innovative finance ISAs rose from about nine percent to almost a quarter wow um, so that gives me a little bit more comfort in if people are moving from an investment, they know how to invest, they're moving from an investment background and they're taking that level of risk and they're moving over into peer-to-peer. That suggests to me that they have perhaps researched more and maybe understand um, more of the risks involved. But I think that also taps into what we were just talking about before, about people being nervous about stock markets and, and where they're going to go and seeing this maybe as a place to get higher returns than cash with more risk. A safe haven, but it's not a safe haven. It's definitely not a safe haven, no. No. So there's, I've I've come up with a handy checklist if you want to go into peer-to-peer. So um, a few of the things to do are check how your provider protects your money. Quite a few of the platforms have kind of a slush fund or an emergency fund to protect against defaults. Some don't have any, so you need to check that out. Um, And check the minimum sum you can lend, because for some platforms it's £1,000, whereas others it's only £10 or £100. Um, And the other thing to check is the platform's kind of track record on defaults and losses, Um, but also if you can get your money out in an emergency, because quite often these are structured as obviously loans with a certain term to them to businesses and if you need to get your money out because you need to access that money you need to see if there's kind of a secondary market or a way that you can get your cash out yeah that sounds really good really good uh, list there thanks dan that's right my pleasure <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about junior ISAs on the show before um and the usual thought is you should invest money in a junior ISA because it's locked away until the child turns 18 so you've got a long time horizon but actually some of these cash 
versions of them are getting quite competitive. National Savings Investments has now got a new junior ISA cash account that offers 3.25%. Um, but actually, I, you know, initially thinking that's pretty good, um, it's not actually the best one at all. Really? Co- no, Coventry Building Society will give you 3.6%. As um, so you're thinking, well, you know, that's can I put my money into cash and get that or, or rather the child's money um, or risk it into the stock market so if you're thinking stock market's giving you sort of seven percent uh, rough average over the years well for, for half that I can get no risk you know risk free isn't it so it's it's um, it's something to think about but actually then I thought well you know what what does it do you need the money to be inside junior ISA because um, actually there's there's non-ISA products that pay even better rates for children. So Halifax is paying 4.5% rates. Wow. So children's children's accounts seem to do much better. Um, So then you think, okay, well, what's the tax benefits to a child? Have they got a job? They might be a, a... you know, have a, a paper round or lucky to work in a, in a shop if they're sort of 16 or 17 or, going or something. up the chimneys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, are, are they really, you know, earning enough? Because we, we have a um, £1,000 personal savings allowance. Um, so you think, well, I don't really need to be in it. So I think with, with junior ISIS, there's a lot more to think about. Um, but comes back to, you know, if you're investing long term, mm. you should really be taking risk. I mean, we were not talking about... Um, binary outcomes it's either boom or bust you've lost everything this is simply about putting your money into investments that will go up and down perhaps a bit more than you may be comfortable with but over the long term the rewards could be better um so you know personally i think i've got two kids uh i've got money in the stock market for them because i know that they don't they're not going to need it now but if if you're you're really worried about stuff you can still get um a fairly decent rate i think with with junior ices yeah, I think the thing that you need to be aware of with um, you talking about going for non-ISA accounts for kids, so they do have a um, personal allowance uh, of money that they can earn each year where they don't pay tax. But if the parent is funding that account and they earn more than £100 in, in interest, then it's taxed as though it's the parent's um, income. So that's one thing to be aware of if you're going outside of that ISA account to get the higher figures. It obviously depends how much money you're putting in each year and how much tax you'll pay on it as to whether that's a big consideration for you or not. Um, But that's probably worth looking at. But yeah, great rates. I guess this is exactly the business that banks want. It's money that's going to be tied up for 18 years. um, And so they're willing to offer high interest rates to lock in that money, aren't they? I suppose they're they're thinking you'll be a customer for life, isn't it? So you think, well, I've, I've used this bank for my savings i might as well stay with it or you know whoever it is i, I mean i'm certainly guilty of it you know we as journalists we write about stories about constantly you need to switch accounts and stuff mm. but uh, actually journalists probably the worst yeah. offenders of them all you know i'm still with the same bank account i've had since i'm 16 even though um i can't say that they're amazing and the, you yeah know, the rates on the savings accounts are rubbish and yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, I was lured into my bank account i think when i think i was 15 or 16 it was because i got a free mitre tactic football Ooh. And I remain with that bank to this you day. You sold think, yourself so cheap. Oh, I mean, is that surprising, <laughs> though, really? I don't think so. <laughs> right, so is everybody ready for the traditional Tom Selby quiz? Wow. Um, yes. Are you ever ready for that? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. I'd say traditional. This is only quiz number two, but... Um, well, all, all How tradi- long till it becomes a tradition? All, all three. Oh, all, okay. <laughs> all traditions start somewhere. So this is a three-question quiz. Are you putting the fun back into funding your ISA? I know you really, really wanted me to do that, Joe. <laughs> so I wrote that in the script for Tom to read, but he did not. It's not happening. Right. Is everybody ready? No. Yes. That's better. 
Question one. It's 20 years since the ISA was first launched in the UK. What was the limit when it was first launched in 1999? £7,000. Oh, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know that one. Um, I'm going for 4000 It's £7,000. Oh. On the money, Laura Souter. 1-0. It's going much better than last time already. <laughs> I sense Laura may get her vengeance, but things are going to change oh. because this is an ISA-linked question, but maybe not as you expect. The so ISAs aren't just tax-incentivised savings products. Which rugby league club does Willie ISA represent? Now, I appreciate that sport is neither of your first loves, so I'm going to give you three options. I never so, remember which is rugby league and which is rugby it, it union. It doesn't matter. You're going to have three three options. Okay, so, great. Um, you've not heard of Willie Isa, I'm guessing either. So I'm guessing this is barely be heard of a rugby. Guess based uh, okay. one, which is fine. So it's A Wigan Warriors, B St Helens, or C Warrington Wolves. These are all real teams. I did think of putting a fake team in just to try and catch them out. <laughs> we definitely would wouldn't cruel. have caught it. Dan, you go first. Thank you. I'm going for C Warrington. I'm going to go for St Helens. You're both wrong. It's Wigan Warriors. What are the chances? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, this is tense. Um, So, Mount Isa is a region renowned for its vast mineral deposits. The Mount Isa mines are among the most productive in world history. Where is Mount Isa? I'm giving you three options again. Thank God. So, is it New Zealand, South Africa, or Australia? Uh, so who went first last time? I did. So Laura, you go. You first. get to go first this time. I'm going to go with New Zealand. I'm going to go with Australia. Dun, dun, dun. God, there's actually a lot of tension here. It's Australia. Dan has equalised. Oh. I'm really pleased because I've just spent 12 years as a mining correspondent. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I did have you in mind, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh my god, I know, I know, I know. I've, I actually have written about it, but yeah, you know, these, th- this, once you want, well, yeah, you yeah. forget it once you've written it. Yeah. So it's time for the tiebreaker question. I think we need to have a winner. Yeah, were we all agreed on that? Yes. Okay. Luckily, I have prepared for this eventuality. Let me just. I op- knew you would open the golden envelope, which works very well on a podcast. I was not expecting this. Okay, so. As I mentioned in my earlier question, uh, it's the 20th anniversary of the introduction of ISAs into the UK. Now, junior ISAs were also introduced in the UK at that time. But what have junior ISAs replaced? Child, Child trust, trust funds. Oh, that was so close. I'm going to give it to... Both it was us. Dan. It was Dan, I'm afraid. He just by a nose. Some favouritism going on here. There really wasn't. I really, really did want to give you the win there, but <laughs> I'm a fair judge. Well, Thanks. we hope everyone's enjoyed the ISA quiz. Tom won't be invited back on for a long time, so that'll be the last of the quizzes. <laughs> but thanks a lot for listening this week. We hope that we've covered a lot of the ISA questions that you had, but if not, then email us on podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we'll try and cover them in a future episode. Bye. See ya. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. The podcast talks about various money issues. 
Just don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. You should also recognise that how an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future and that tax rules apply.